But a few weeks ago, I said that the passages in John are like a feast. And this passage in particular is like a big meal. There's so much in this passage that we could spend weeks on, savoring over the things that we learn today. Uh, We could spend many weeks on them, but you might find it hard to take in everything. Even today, you might find there's so much to take in that it's a bit overwhelming, and that's okay. In fact, there might just be one morsel that you reflect on and digest today from this passage, and that's okay. Uh, But I would encourage you, you, though, to keep coming back to this passage, to feast on more that you can learn from this passage, and you might like to set aside some time this week to do this. I'm going to pray for us. Gracious Father God, uh, thank you that you show yourself to us through your scripture. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to understand bits of your Bible uh, because you are big. Uh, So help us to understand, show us, open our hearts through your spirit that we would love, trust and obey Jesus. Uh, Help us, give us the peace that we long for now. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, My son is in prep. He started school this uh, he started school this week, uh, this year. And each morning I drop my son off at school and I see the same scene. Anxious children saying goodbye to often anxious parents. I give my son a hug, I stand in the same spot, and in the seconds just before he enters class, he looks into my eyes and he waves to me. And in that moment, I want to reassure him that everything is going to be okay whether he falls over in the playground, whether he struggles to learn something in the class, whether he gets bullied. I want him to know everything is going to be okay. I want him to have peace. And peace, I think, is what he wants too. It's not just kids, is it? All of us long for this kind of peace in our lives, especially when we feel anxious about what lies ahead. Years ago, I used to meet with my pastor every week to have breakfast and Bible reading before I went to work in the city. And one particular week, he told me that he was leaving the church. He and his family were going back to America, where they were from, and it was devastating for me. This pastor had a great impact on my life and the lives of others in the church. And when he told me this, it was like the wind had been knocked out of me. I was in a daze that day. I wanted someone to tell me everything is going to be okay. I wanted peace. Jesus has just told us, uh, told his disciples that he is leaving them, preparing an eternal home for them. And it's as though the wind has been knocked out of the disciples. What they're looking for is reassurance, comfort, peace. And Jesus says these words in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give you. Do you long for this peace? If you do, keep listening to what Jesus says today. This is what we're going to see in the passage. Peace means loving Jesus by obeying him. Peace means trusting Jesus 
to give you the helper that you need. Peace means experiencing the Father, Son, and Spirit loving you. Peace means knowing Jesus is Lord. Let's look at that first point. Peace means loving Jesus by obeying him. When you read this passage, it jumps out everywhere that if you love Jesus, you must obey him. Look at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. Verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. In the previous chapter, Jesus has just showed his love for his disciples by washing their feet. And he's about to go to the cross, which is the greatest demonstration of his love for his followers. Jesus is the one who initiates love for us, love for unworthy sinners. And in a sense, this love is unconditional, isn't it? None of us bring anything to Jesus to deserve his love. We experience the depth of his love, even as sinners. But in another way, this love is not without condition, is it? Once we receive this love and we belong to Jesus, the right response is to love him in response. And this love, Jesus says, requires obedience to him. We are not equals with Jesus. After all, Jesus is our Lord, the one who gave his life for us. Now, our culture, I think, would argue that these two words don't belong together, love and obedience. In fact, if you love someone, there should be freedom, not the obligation to obey. And here's the great paradox of Jesus. If you want to experience true freedom, we must respond to Jesus with loving obedience. In fact, any other freedom will result in bondage. You see, I think all love is obedience to a truth. Let me say that again. All love is obedience to a truth. It's just a question of who or what that truth is. Let me illustrate this. A married man feels attracted to another woman who is not his wife. He decides to have an affair with her. He decides to leave his wife to be with her, and he feels the need to be true to his feelings. He feels that this is the only way he can find peace. His wife is devastated, and so are his children. He's broken promises to them. But in explaining to them, he says he couldn't live a lie any longer. He had fallen out of love with his wife. And he says to them, you don't understand now, but you will understand that none of us have the right to question anyone else's choices. We're all on a journey of finding our true selves. And all any of us can do is to be authentic to our own journey. In fact, he tells his kids what he has done is more loving for them in the long term, more loving than staying in a miserable marriage. I'm going to apply the pub test, okay, to this. Is what this man has done loving to his wife and kids? No, of course not. Who's the truth that he's listening to? His own truth. 
Who is he obeying? Himself. And there are casualties, aren't there? All love is obedience to a truth. A married man feels attracted to another woman who is not his wife. He is tempted to have an affair with her. The feelings are so strong, but he is committed to following Jesus. So he opens his Bible and he sees that there's a command there about sleeping with another woman who is not his wife. And the Bible doesn't call that love. It's called adultery. He turns more pages in the Bible and he sees the words of Jesus who says that even if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. And he's deeply convicted by the truth of Jesus. He falls to his knees and he repents and asks God for forgiveness. He turns in his Bible some more and he hears the words of Jesus talking about himself. I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. And he thinks to himself that if it was good enough for Jesus to obey God, it's good enough for him to obey Jesus. He resolves not to cheat on his wife and kids. He loves Jesus. He wants to obey Jesus. He cries out to Jesus in prayer and asks for help. And the fight to obey is so hard. But over time, Jesus fills his heart with a deep peace. His feelings subside. But this same battle arises several times in his married life. And each time he does the same thing, he gives himself to obeying Jesus. And each time Jesus gives him peace. Years later, at his daughter's wedding, she thanks him for being a good husband and father. And in his heart, he gives all the credit to Jesus for giving him the strength to obey him. You see, friends, all love is obedience to a truth, and all truths can't be right. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In obeying him, you will find freedom and life. Give yourself to obeying his commands. Trust him to give you the peace that you long for. But know that in your striving to obey Jesus, you are not doing that alone. You are not doing that in your own strength. This brings us to the second point. Peace means trusting Jesus to give you the helper that you need. Uh, Every morning when I drop off my son at school, he asks me before, he says, who's dropping me off and who's picking me up? You know what he's really asking? Will I be left alone at school? I think he'd love it if uh, my wife Emma or I could be there with him during school all day, help him to fight his battles, pick him up when he falls over, reassure him when he gets worried. The reality is, though, I cannot be with him all the time. And Jesus goes one better. He gives us the helper we need all the time. Verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. 
But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Uh, Jesus has spoken about the Holy Spirit before in John's Gospel, but here in the next few chapters, Jesus speaks in more detail about the Spirit than anywhere else in the Gospel. Now, the Greek word used here that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit is the word paraclete, not to be confused with parakeet. Paraclete literally means one who calls alongside. And this word, uh, when you read different versions of English Bibles, has been translated differently. And I don't think any one single translation quite captures the meaning of this word. Some translations speak of the paraclete as the advocate or the counsellor. Now, this term has that legal sense of someone who is interceding on our behalf, like a lawyer, like a defence counsel, an advocate we need because of our sin before God, the holy judge. Now, the word paraclete was used of Jesus in 1 John 2, verse 1. Jesus is our first advocate. He alone is the one who represents us before God because of the guilt of our sin. But here in John 14, Jesus says that he will send another advocate, the Holy Spirit. This is the one that Jesus leaves with us and intercedes on our behalf when Jesus leaves to return with his Father. Uh, some translations prefer to translate paraclete as a helper or comforter. And that, that term is it's warmer, isn't it, than advocate. And it fits in the context of what Jesus is saying to his disciples. They need reassurance. They need comfort that they won't be alone. And Jesus assures them that the Holy Spirit will be their ongoing source of help and comfort in their time of need as one who, figuratively speaking, walks alongside them through all the joys and challenges of life. It would be great if there was one word that captures all of this, but we don't have that word. The point is, trust Jesus not to leave you alone in the world. He will provide his spirit. He will give you an advocate, a helper, who is a lasting source of peace. Here are the things we learn about the Holy Spirit. He will be with us forever, verse 16. The world will not see or know the Spirit, but believers will know the Spirit, verse 17. The Spirit will actually live within a believer, and the Spirit is a person. For Jesus refers to the Spirit in these chapters as He. Now here's a question, how do you actually know if you have the Spirit? You know, if you can't see the Spirit, uh, the world would say that seeing is believing. If, if I could see the Spirit, then I would believe in Jesus. But the Bible says it's the other way around. Believing is seeing. If you believe in Jesus, it means you can see the Spirit at work in your life. As we're going to see in the chapters ahead of us, one of the main things that the Spirit does is the Spirit comes into our life and teaches us about Jesus. There's a hint of it in verse 16. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. 
One of the main roles of the Spirit is as a teacher, a kind of coach in your life who comes alongside you and teaches you not about himself but about Jesus. So how do you know if the Spirit is at work in your life? I would say the question is, how important is Jesus in your life? How much do you know him? How big is he in your life? How much do you appreciate how he has rescued you from sin and from death? How much do you factor him into your decisions? The more evidence there is of Jesus in your life, the more evidence there is that the Spirit is at work in your life. One of the tests, I think, is whether you obey Jesus. But where do you get the strength to obey Jesus from? I think it's the Holy Spirit who provides you with that strength. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 12. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. It's uh, distressing to feel alone, isn't it? But here's the thing. For those who love and obey the Lord Jesus, you are never truly alone, are you? Because of the Holy Spirit. It's distressing to feel helpless. But here's the thing, you are never truly helpless because you have a helper forever that Jesus promised. But it's even richer than you can imagine. Look at point three. Peace means experiencing the Father, Son, and Spirit loving you. The Bible is clear that there is only one God. Passages like Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 remind us that the Lord our God is one. And this God alone is to be worshipped. But as early Christians started to understand the divinity of Jesus, they started to call him Lord. In fact, they started to worship Jesus, as Thomas did in John 20 when he falls and, and worships Jesus as his Lord and his God. Passages in John's Gospel and other passages in the Bible often speak together about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And early Christians, they affirm that there is only one God, but that this God is also three. And so a number of years later, a term developed called the Trinity, to help us understand this. Sometimes we use the term a triune God to describe who God is. Three in one. Not three gods, but one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. It's a very difficult concept to understand and explain because it's very difficult to find the language to explain the Trinity. I've heard different analogies used before to explain the Trinity, uh, analogies that talk about water, cookies, cakes, coat hangers, masks. And at worst, these analogies are heresy. They kind of reduce God to something he's not. And maybe at best they capture one aspect of God who is triune, but they fail to capture all the beauty and the majesty of who God is. And we shouldn't be surprised, because if we're talking about a God who is indescribable and 
incomprehensible and so amazingly big and glorious that it would be a very small God if we could very simply explain him. But what I want you to notice here is the language of love, the language of relationship that comes from these passages. God the Father, Son and Spirit work together in beautiful harmony. They're united in all that they do. Some helpfully use the analogy of dance. In eternity, God the Father, Son and Spirit have been in this eternal dance together and now Amazingly, they involve us and invite us to dance with them. Here's another helpful analogy, I think, of music. God the Father, Son, and Spirit create one beautiful piece of music with Father, Son, and Spirit each playing their parts in this one beautiful piece of music. And now we are invited to join with them in this music. Now, I I don't want you to miss the importance of this because the Trinity, I think, is not just intellectually understood. It is felt and experienced relationally. The joy of sharing fellowship with God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Have a look at verse 16. And I, that's Jesus, the Son, will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Can you see Father, Son, and Spirit working together? Verse 20, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Can you see the the loving relationship working out there? Verse 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, that is the Son, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Can you see the language of relationship? Other-centered relationship. Father, Son, and Spirit not competing with one another. Love. Love for each other and love for us. Love that has existed before God created the world. And now love that drives Father, Son, and Spirit to work with each other and for each other to bring us into relationship. It's amazing, isn't it? I hope this helps you understand obedience as well. A swear word in our culture. When was the last time you heard the word obey used in a good way? This is why obedience is a good thing. Look at verse 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. You see, responding to Jesus in loving obedience, it is not like obeying a prison guard. Okay? It is responding to one who loves us. And get this, one who lives in us. Notice the second half of verse 23. It is not just the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Jesus says we will come to them and make our home with them. Father and Son will reside in us through the presence of his Spirit. That is the Trinity right there. And and don't miss the, the wonderful picture that this is. Remember last week, Jesus said that he was leaving to prepare his father's home for them, an eternal home with God in heaven. 
But in the meantime, by giving us the Spirit, we have this guarantee that God will make sure that we get to heaven because God the Father, Son, and Spirit will make his home in us. It's breathtaking, isn't it? He's going to take you home, but before that, he's going to make home in you. Peace means experiencing the love of the Father, Son, and Spirit and responding to God with loving obedience. Here is the final point. Peace means knowing Jesus is Lord. Uh, I, I don't have the heart to tell my son Lucas that he's got 12 more years of school ahead of him. At this stage, all I want him to know is there's a plan. There's a plan. And that's what Jesus wants his disciples to know. There's a plan. And he wanted them to know this because he is the Lord of that plan. A plan that includes not only them, but the world as well. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will see, not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Now, Jesus talks about being orphans. He doesn't want them to feel like they're alone and abandoned and unloved. He promises to return to them. And I think in these verses, Jesus is saying that the disciples will see him again after his resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of their own resurrection that they will share in after they die. One of Jesus' disciples, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, asks him in verse 22, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? There's a plan. What is Jesus' plan for the world? Well, all along in John's gospel, the world represents sinful humanity. The world represents people blinded in darkness to the true light of Jesus. And we've already seen in John's gospel that God loves the world, even in its rebellion against him. Otherwise, he would never have sent Jesus into the world. But the disciples, his dearly loved children, they're on the inner circle of God's love. And so they get to hear of this plan. And it's a plan that doesn't rely on their love. Look at verse 28. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I, I find this verse heartbreaking because the disciples are they're so concerned about themselves in these chapters. And, and they never really give a second thought to what's good for Jesus. If they did, they would give thought to the pain of the cross he's about to face. If they truly loved Jesus, they would desire what is better for him. And what that is, is that he would return to his father and enjoy the greatness that he had before he came into our world. This plan does not rely on the love of Jesus or the love of the world. It relies on the love of Jesus. Verse 29. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. The plan for this world 
is that the world would see the lordship of Jesus. And where is the world going to see this? At the cross. At the cross where Jesus wages war on the prince of this world, Satan. At the cross where Jesus disarms and defeats his power through his triumph of his death and resurrection. And what is driving this display of power is love. Love of the Son for his Father. Obedient love, love that existed before anything else was created and a love that is displayed for us in no greater way than in his death for guilty sinners like you and I. This is your Lord. This is the one you sing about and worship. This is the one who gives you peace. I want to I put all this together as I finish might be a bit overwhelming, so I just want to give you a few things to think about in response. Okay, three things. Next time you feel alone, next time you feel that there is no peace in your heart, next time you feel that obeying Jesus is too hard, I want you to do these three things, right? First thing is I want you to go outside and I want you to look at the stars. I want you to meditate on who made those stars. Think about God the Father without beginning or end. Think about God the Son through whom everything was made and for whom everything was made, including those stars and including you. I want you to think about God the Spirit hovering over the waters of creation, before those ancient stars even came to be. And as you look at the stars, what I want you to do then is think about the cross. God set his heart on you before the creation of those stars. And then God the Father, Son and Spirit set a plan into motion to rescue you from sin and death, a plan that was all about love, a love that could defeat the power of evil on the cross, love between Father, Son and Spirit extended to you to join them. And after looking at those stars and thinking about the cross, I want you to go back inside your home but what I want you to remember that is that that is not your home. Heaven is your home, where you'll be united with God, Father, Son, and Spirit. But until you reach that home, God will not leave you alone. He will make his home in you. Then I want you to pray. I want you to pray, gracious God, Father, Son, and Spirit, fill my heart with peace that I would love and obey you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let me pray. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Spirit, 
God, you are amazing, breathtaking, indescribable. We thank you for these words of Jesus that give us a window into how glorious you are. Thank you that you know and that you care for us, that as we look at the stars, who are we that you are mindful of us, just sinful specks in the universe, and yet you love us so much that you would include us in your love and that you would be even willing to make a home in us through your spirit. We are blown away. Please fill our hearts with peace when they are troubled this week. Please give us the power of your spirit to love and obey you, to reject the temptation of Satan, to live for you. Help us. Please, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.